This morning, our guest speaker is Andrew Weida. Many of you uh, were at the marriage retreat. When was that? In September? How many were at that retreat? Several of you. And and what? <laughs> Couldn't have been. February. <laughs> okay, February. <laughs> Time just flies. I'm, in a, I'm a mess this morning. But uh, Andrew and Amy, his wife, sweet wife, uh, facilitated that retreat for us. Uh, Andrew has become a, a special friend of mine. He, uh, particularly because he and his wife canceled my son and his wife in uh, premarital uh, counseling, um, pre-engagement actually, and um, had a significant impact. And then um, Andrew officiated my son's wedding uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, best wedding sermon I have heard in my entire life. And I've just come to love and admire this man. And so would you welcome Andrew Weida from Custer, Washington. Come on up. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. It's great to be here. Um, greetings from Custer, Washington. Anybody know where Custer, Washington? You guys know where Custer, Washington is? Do you know where Blaine and Linden and Ferndale are? Okay, basically Canada, right? So where those three towns converge, that's Custer, Washington. And there's a little church right there, Sunrise Baptist Church. So greetings from Sunrise Baptist Church. I'm one of the associate pastors there. I get the honor and the privilege of leading emerging adults. Didn't make up the term, stole it from a really smart Harvard guy. Uh, basically, it's the 18 to 30-ish year old that are still trying to sort out, like, what is next? What is this whole post-high school, pre-adulthood thing. So uh, it's fun. It's a joy to get to hang out, do a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring with these guys uh, and serving them in that way. Uh, yeah, I've got my wife, Amy, and our three kiddos are, are back up there. We've got this dog. We've had this dog for almost a year, and it's like she's kennel trained. She's amazing, uh, beautiful dog, and we love her. Well, we can't leave her for a ton of time, and so they stay at home with the dog. No, they're... They're doing, uh, they're doing their Sunday routine up north there too. So, but it's just great. It's fun to get to be here. Uh, I love getting to do this. I can't believe I get to do this. The, get to come down here and visit with you guys, and uh, be blessed by you guys. Really, I've got some things to share with you, but you guys will bless me equally as much. It'll be great this morning. Uh, just a, just a overarching, just big picture. We're going to talk about an uncommon rest, uncommon gift, and an uncommon good. Okay, uncommon rest is an uncommon gift for uncommon good. A couple summers ago, something happened to our family. A great thing happened to our family uh, that has added to my understanding of this idea of uncommon rest, uncommon gift uncommon good. We were asked, um, we were asked by Young Life to come and serve at Breakaway as head leaders. Now Breakaway is a Young Life camp for sixth graders going into seventh grade down in Seaside, Oregon. We were asked to come down there and be head leaders, so kind of be leaders of the leaders that bring kids to this camp. And Amy and I thought, man, this would be a really 
great opportunity to go and get to serve for about a month's time. And the leaders at Sunrise said, yes, we love that idea. Why don't you guys go and do that? That'd be great. And so the morning, the Sunday morning before we left, Pastor Jason, our youth pastor, who knows a little bit about junior high ministry, he came and he prayed for us in front of, we stood before the people we love and who love us, and he prayed for us. And he prayed that we would experience, amidst the blur of junior high ministry, he prayed that we would experience an uncommon rest. And I thought, uncommon rest? We're going to be doing ministry with sixth graders. How's that going to go, right? And so I kind of filed that away in the back of my mind and thought, well, we'll see how this works out, okay? And then we left for breakaway. And our, our routine, what became our reality, we'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning and we would uh, have leader meetings and, and, and uh, schedule meetings and assignment team meetings and this sort of thing. And then in preparation for kids to come to camp, we would do the uh, lodge. We would be the ones to clean up the lodge. Uh, we'd have to figure out room assignments for all the kids that are coming. We'd be on the phone meeting with the leaders that are bringing kids with any special needs and all this kind of stuff. They'd get there. We'd pray over the cabins and for these kiddos as they're arriving and we'd give them tours and we'd get them all signed in and everything figured out and then camp would go. And Young Life Camp is go. It's go, go, go. And we would do a day at the beach. We would have this, uh, we, we would um, have a, uh, well, we wouldn't surf, but we would go boogie boarding. And we only, 80 kids with only 30 wetsuits. So we're trying to strip these kids out of these wet, 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 wet suits and put them on these dry kids. It's just a just a mess, right? So we did a day of that. We did a day at the lake with just lake games and, and boat rides and just all kinds of stuff and, and constant activity, go, 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 continually at Young Life Camp, high energy, not to mention the spiritual battle that comes with the setting or the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. Finally, at the end of the day, getting kids in their rooms, getting kids in their rooms again, getting kids in their rooms again, Finally, lights out, Amy and I, we finally hit the pillow about 11.30 at night. And that became our daily reality. And that was what it looked like for just about a month. It was a schedule, really, if you think about it, only the highest capacity people can sustain this kind of a schedule for too terribly long. And that is not Andy and Amy Weta, really, at the end of it. And, uh, but what was amazing, what was remarkable about the whole thing, and this is what uh, really kind of lodged in us to make us start thinking about this idea of uncommon rest, uncommon gift, and uncommon good, is that we emerged from that time rested. We emerged from that time really experiencing this refreshed sense. Now, I don't know what Pastor Jason had in mind, if he was imagining a certain thing, or maybe he wasn't at all. But we left that time of breakaway, having given our lives away to leader after leader, week after week, experiencing something like rest, an uncommon rest in that time. And I have to wonder on the backside of that, how in the world did that work out? How in the world did that work out? How could we spend a month racing from sunup to sundown, giving and serving and giving and serving and return home rested, refreshed at the end of it? And I want to think about that a little bit this morning. In the early chapters of the Gospel of Mark, things get testy quick. Mark makes it pretty clear that things are changing. 
All right, the son of God, son of man, is on the scene, and things look very different than what folks were used to. Okay, here is a man who forgives sins. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. He doesn't keep to typical rituals like fasting. All this is just in chapter 2 right now, and right at the end of chapter 2, apparently, he views Sabbath very differently as well. So I'm looking at Mark chapter 2, verse 23. You're welcome to pop over there if you have a Bible with you. Otherwise, you can listen in too. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Okay, now it's the Sabbath, and Jesus is with his best friends, the guys that have given their lives to follow after him, And you can just imagine them wandering through these expansive grain fields, stalks swaying back and forth as he's as he's walking along, and maybe maybe he's teaching them or he's explaining to them something, or maybe they're just laughing and chatting as they go along. And all the while, there's these Pharisees, squinty-eyed snakes type guys. And they're out some distance away, crouching down amongst the grain. They got their binoculars out and they're spying in on Jesus and his disciples to watch them, to check out what they're going to do. Okay, and these disciples start to pluck these heads of grain. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a grain field. Some of you have, maybe you haven't. Okay, but at the top of these, of these grain stalks, a little tassel, okay, and, and on that tassel, a bunch of husks, and inside those husks, there's seeds, and so they would just take, and they'd pluck those, and they'd rub them together in their hands like this, and the husks would kind of blow away, and at the end of it, they'd have a little palm full of seeds. Maybe you and I, we might do the same thing. We might get some uh, sunflower seeds out of their little shells, some peanuts, and we just pop them in our mouth as we're walking along, right? Just casually, we're snacking, Jesus is talking. The Pharisees are not impressed. So they, Jesus is stopped. He's confronted by the Pharisees. Verse 24, look. What do you guys think you're doing, right? Is their tone. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And you're thinking, sheesh, all they're doing is they're, is they're plucking some heads of grain. They're just grabbing a little snack as they're walking and talking, right? If we back up just a little bit, these guys had really strict rules for the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath itself it comes from a really clumsy sounding Hebrew word, Shabbat. That's the word. You can say it with me, okay? Shabbat, okay? It sounds, it's kind of, it's, it sounds, it's really abrupt. It's kind of halting, right? It sounds like a bump in the road with a sign next to it that says, slow down. Shabbat, right? I think maybe that was intentional, perhaps even. But, um, so, this word shows up. We're first introduced to this idea of Shabbat in scripture, not as a, noun but as a verb it's not doesn't show up as a person place or thing at the very beginning it shows up as an action or maybe better yet as a posture now maybe you're familiar with this maybe you're not but in genesis chapter 2 right there on the heels of the creation story it says and on the seventh day verse 2 and 3 genesis 2 and on the seventh day god finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had been doing in creation. Now, it sounds a little bit redundant, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like it's repetitive, how 
uh, this re- repeated reminder that God did not work on this last of seven days. Rather, he rested. And that's where Shabbat shows up as a verb. Literally, God ceased and desisted from the activity of creating to the activity of stopping or resting. He postured himself, stopping and resting. And not at all because God was exhausted, right, from all his creative work and Woo, overtime, six days a week, I am done crawling to bed out in 30 seconds, right? It's not the picture we have at all of God. Rather, we want to uh, get this picture of, of God resting, being refreshed by reflecting on what has just taken place for 60. Now, you and I, we do this. We stop. You guys do. I do on, on birthdays and anniversaries. Right? My wife and I, we just did this two, day, two nights ago. June 22nd marks 16 years of married life together as one, Amy and I. And we stopped. We stopped to, to reflect back on the year and the years, in fact, on just the goodness of God over these years, the grace events and the, and the victories over trials and just to kind of celebrate what he's done. And then we take time and we imagine forward, oh man, maybe, and what if, and, and it's just this great time to, to stop, right, and to be refreshed in that moment. And it's the same idea here. This, this first Sabbath in Genesis 2 was that of the Lord reflecting on the mighty works of his hands and all that he'd created. Okay, he's breathing deep this intrinsic goodness. Remember, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good, the whole work of creation. He's, and he's taking this in and he's just stepping back from all that he's created. It's this big, glorious grin just brimming on his face in joy and pleasure over what has happened, over what's just taken place. There's a lot more that I could say there. I, could, we could, I got this whole series that we could do sometime on just, um, j- just, just tying into this point of, of what that looked like. But at the very least there, we have this description of this particular rhythm inaugurated by God on the heels of creation, this rhythm that keeps a meter of sevens, okay? So one out of every seven shall be set aside for rest, unlike any other. A special time, special space lifted up from the common mundane dailiness set apart especially for, fully for, God, creator and redeemer. An uncommon rest. Well, gradually, sometime between then and there in our story with Jesus, what was intended by God to be this day of uncommon rest, instead it faded into this day of legislated behavior. Get this, okay? By the time Jesus' day, these guys had come up with these 39 principles that were uh, prohibited from the day. And, and, and so not to stop there, what, what they had actually done, what these Pharisees had actually done over the course of this time prior to, is they had uh, parsed out those 39 principles into several hundred dues and don'ts, lined out what you can do for taking a Sabbath. And threshing wheat was one of them. And here are the disciples 
threshing wheat in their hands. And the Pharisees are all up in it, right? And so the whole practice of Sabbath had spun around to become this sort of idolatry almost. One day set aside to stop and serve a day. It's like an idol now. Okay, become enslaved to a list of requirements for doing the Sabbath. But Jesus isn't startled one bit by the Pharisees' comment. Look it back in Mark chapter 2, verse 25, right at the beginning, Jesus says to him, have you never read what David did, right? As if to say, you guys been doing your Bible time? You guys have spent a time at all in the Bible? Okay, because I've been reading it, and right there in 1 Samuel chapter 21, there's this story about David, and he shares it back in verse 25. When, when he was in need and he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how David entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also, he gave it to the guys who were with him. David did what was unlawful and there was no repercussions for him. And Jesus' point then for this gathered brood of vipers, right, is that the bread, the tabernacle, the priests, these aren't idols to be served. They're gifts to serve you. And so is the Sabbath. That was his point. It's a gift from the hand of the Father to you. Verse 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, This day of uncommon rest was intended to serve humankind, not the other way around. I'll show you what Jesus means by this. Sabbath pops up in the Old Testament, pops up in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. We know that. Commandment number four talks about keeping a Sabbath. It shows up again in Exodus 31, 11 chapters later. What Moses has been doing over the course of those 11 chapters, he started with the Ten Commandments, but he's laying out uh, rules by which to live by within this brand new community that had just been freed from Egypt. Okay, They need to figure out how to live together now. And so Moses is laying these things out as God is giving them to him, how to treat one another, different festivals and what to do uh, with, with celebrations and blueprints for the tabernacle and, 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 and uh, patterns for the priestly robes and all these kinds of things, right? And you get to Exodus chapter 31, and in verse 13, it says, above all, And Moses is reflecting back on these 11 chapters worth of things. Moses says, above all these things, keep a Sabbath. So that you remember that God is the one who has chosen you and set you apart. Okay, and then in verse 14, and this is the key, he says, you shall keep a Sabbath because it is holy for you. Did you catch that? Here is a gift for you from God. It's a time to stop and rest. Uncommon rest, uncommon gift, set apart, lifted up from the common place. It's holy for you. 
Jesus has noticed over time these thick walls of legalistic pursuit that had been built around the day, and he's calling them out. Guys, pare it back a bit, okay? You don't serve a day. You serve a God who gave a day to serve you. His purpose was not to put us into some kind of a straitjacket. His purpose was to liberate us from the straitjacket that's the other six days of the week. Here we live in this world of 4G networks and on-demand everything and multiple fast lanes. And not much, if anything, within the context of these days that we live is directing us toward the holy, toward God. Someone once said, we live in a world that knows only itself and the scores of our modern day circus games, but that does not know God. So here is an uncommon gift of uncommon rest set aside for you. Not to be legalistic about. Not to take license with either though. You know what I mean by that? You guys remember merry-go-rounds? Okay, the really good ones have disappeared from playgrounds. <laughs> what a wild ride those things used to be, right? You, you remember the crazy kid on the playground that would just get that thing spinning so fast that it felt like your face was going to fly off, right? You remember that kid? Maybe you were that kid. Who was that kid? Anybody here was that kid? All right, that's good. Jim was that kid. You guys see that? He was a crazy guy. That grin and that giggle, right, as he's just spinning and spinning this thing around and around and around. And he's having tons of fun spinning the merry-go-round. And meanwhile, you're sitting there and you're hugging the bars, trying not to fly off this thing. And the whole joy of the ride is vanishing as your lunch is moving towards your throat. And you, you got, really, your options boil down to two things. You can either just... Let go and fly off of this thing and watch yourself get wrecked. Or you can put your foot down, stop the ride, and claw your way back to the center of it. You guys remember those things? Those good times, right? Well, doesn't it seem sometimes that life feels a little bit like that merry-go-round ride? Doesn't that spinning faster and faster around and around feel a bit like the work week at times? Okay, I know it's easy. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, but I think it's easy to move through the work week, no matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or a business owner or an educator or a laborer or state worker. We have state workers around here, military enlistees, right? Police officer, student, pastor, retiree, whatever, right? But to move through the work week in this blur of activity, Always rushing from where you were to where you are, totally missing where, to, sorry, from where you were to where you're going, totally missing where you are in the given moment. And doesn't it feel wearisome, right? To the point, even where we come to our day off and all we want to do is escape or 
isolate ourselves, right? If we could just steal back a day just for me, just for myself, and I can binge watch that Netflix show that I've been hoping for, or I can uh, tool around in the shop, or I can finally delve into that novel that I got for my birthday two years ago, right? Or break out that array of recreation toys, or whatever it is, whatever it is that might busy us up just enough to forget what lies behind us and distract us from what lies ahead of us. For me, you want to know mine is? Mine's putzing. Anybody else putz? Anybody else just putz around the house? I get to my day off and I just putz around. I putz from this pile of stuff over to this pile of stuff and I organize this pile of stuff over here and this stuff goes in the recycling. This stuff over here gets thrown away and hey kids, come and put this stuff away. They're in the middle of playing with their Legos. Guys, put your Legos away. I just, I mean, I just, I'm putzing around and I, and, and anything I can do at that point somehow for me makes me feel like I own a day for once instead of being owned by a day. But that sort of me first unrestricted license is not what God had in mind for this uncommon gift of uncommon rest any more than the restricted legalism that Jesus is up against in the day, right? Back in Exodus 31, there's another verse, verse 15. It says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of uncommon rest, catch this, holy to the Lord. Okay, It's holy for us, set apart for us. Yet, as well, it's holy to the Lord. It's set apart to Him. God says, here is the gift of a day of uncommon rest for you, but it's going to be about me. Because really, more than their list of do's and don'ts, and more than our lists of recreations, really, you just need more of me. Mark Buchanan, one of my favorite authors, he says this, Sabbath is a small yet ample chunk of space, a narrow yet full segment of time. In it, you can lie down and rest. From it, you can rise up and go stronger, lighter, ready to work again with vigor and a clear mind. It's room enough, time enough, in which to relinquish all encumbrances, to act as though their existence has nothing whatsoever to do with your own. It's an invitation at one and the same time to empty yourself and fill yourself with Jesus. Doesn't it sound sweet? Right? Doesn't it sound like that's what, that's what I want, right? But, but I got to wonder, like, what still about the day then? What could this look like? What made Breakaway feel like that for the Weta family? An uncommon gift of uncommon rest. Well, Jesus hints at this next in the text, back in Mark chapter 2, verse 28. Jesus says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What does that mean, Andy? Well, it means that there's a new Lord in town and there's a new law on the books, okay? One guy who's smarter than me in a commentary, he wrote this. He says, this statement boldly affirms that as Lord, the Son of Man is the one who decrees what is lawful and unlawful, permissible and 
impermissible, and any customs ordained by the Pharisees or their traditions are thereby rendered null and void. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, or sovereign over the Sabbath, which means his law will govern the day now. Well, what is his law? If we were to keep reading in the book of Mark, he gives it away by the time we get to chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, verse 30, it's the law right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the first, that is the greatest. The second is like it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with every fiber of your being, all that you are, and love our neighbor in a way that makes sense only from God's point of view. It only makes sense from God's perspective. And when Sabbath is qualified by the law of love, all of a sudden, the day looks very different. It doesn't look like theirs, where, 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 where they do this and do that to serve a day. But it doesn't look like ours so often looks either, where, where we um, do whatever we want to serve ourselves. Here is a law that turns wholly outward. It has God and others in view. Not a particular day and not my own self-interest. So ought our Sabbath to look like, okay? An uncommon rest is an uncommon gift for uncommon good. On display, Mark chapter 3, very next passage, okay? Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, Jesus Entered the synagogue. It's the Sabbath again. Maybe it's the same one. Maybe it's a different Sabbath. We don't know. Doesn't matter. What matters is there was a man there with a withered hand. And the Pharisees, they know Jesus. They know his trend of grace, faithfulness, and compassion. And so they're watching again from afar, binoculars up, spying what's Jesus going to do. They're not looking to learn a new law here by any means. They want to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath so that they can accuse him and condemn him. Verse 3, there Jesus calls the man with the withered hand to center stage. There's going to be a show today. Now, just put this in perspective. Think about this for a minute. Think about uh, your own handicap for just a minute. Okay, what is it? Every one of us has these things. What is it that might mark you as a social misfit? Okay, um, think through. Maybe it's a physical handicap, indeed. Maybe it's a chronic condition, mental, emotional, otherwise. Maybe you're poor. Maybe you're broke. Maybe it's deeper than that. Not a lot of people can see it. Maybe it's fear. Maybe there's anxiety that's wrestling up, okay? Maybe there's bitterness there. Maybe you're incredibly lonely and you just wish that somebody would notice you, right? Now, whatever it is, whatever that is for you, whatever that is for me, imagine for a moment that is printed, big bold letters, on your t-shirt, invited up on stage at the county fair, standing right next to whoever's performing that night, there you are. Okay, this is the picture, this is the scene. Here's a man, social misfit, invited in front of everybody, all of his peers, everybody that would scurry around him throughout the week. 
okay? Verse four, Jesus said to him, said to everybody that's gathered there, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And what do you think? It's a tough question, isn't it? (laughs) Don't you wish you could have been there just to see the utter disdain on Jesus's face with these silent snakes just listening on? It isn't a trick question at all. It's not a trick question. I know there's a lot to this idea of Sabbath and I've tried to read and I've tried to grapple with it and wrap my mind and my heart around it. It still feels kind of Jewish. Makes it feel kind of uncomfortable and stuff, right? It threatens us. It, It invades our time. It invades our space. But it's not a trick question. At the end of it, it is what it is. A day among seven to stop and do good and give life. This uncommon rest is an uncommon gift for uncommon good. And Jesus, he's not asking them to test their motives at all. He's asking them to reveal their motives and maybe bring some conviction, but it doesn't work. You see that in the text. There again, verse 4. They were silent. Jesus looked around at them with anger. Grieved at the hardness of heart. Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. That must have been awesome. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Right there in front of the legalists of the day, Jesus seizes back the day from the hands of these unfaithful stewards and he reestablishes it for what it was meant to be from the beginning, an uncommon rest as an uncommon gift for uncommon good. Then at the end of it, the Pharisees, verse six, they went out, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus. How can we destroy him? Another guy, smarter than me, The way light creates shadows, so does Jesus' presence bring out the darkened heart of people. Hardness of heart is simply the consistent failure to acknowledge who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's remarkable what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through the resurrection. Giving us the right to step back and to receive this gift of rest. To do good. Listen, let's be honest here. Too often, we enter our day off with little more intention than to just escape the workaday world. 24-7, live media streaming, busyness of the day. That's our reality. We need to catch Jesus' vision for Sabbath as a gift. A time to do good and to give life. To be, be intentional. Have purpose in the day. Here is a time and a space, an uncommon gift that's set aside to do the great commandment. To love God with everything within you. And to love your neighbor. And I know that should, that should occupy every day that we live, right? But really, honestly, it, just, it gets so muddled up 
in the, in the dailiness and the activities of the things we do, God gave us a day for him to set aside uncommon rest, uncommon gift for uncommon good. Now just imagine, imagine what your day could look like today if you picked up what Jesus is putting down here. Imagine for a minute. It's going to look different. Okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uncommon. But that was the point from the beginning. Would you guys pray with me here this morning? Father, so grateful, Father in heaven, to you. Grateful that you're a good, good Father. You are the Father who, who gives good, good gifts. gave us this gift, this opportunity to stop and rest every single week, the opportunity, God. Compel us to receive it as a gift of your grace to us. To go and do good, to go and serve, give our lives away to people we love, people we want to love, people we hope to love, people that are hard to love. Compel us in that, Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray.